Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. You guys all ready for week two of Idols? I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Last week was a little tough. Uh, it was a little hard hitting and it was, um, you know, you, you just get to sit in it for one service unless you get, you know, if you go online and you watch and you listen and go on the podcast, maybe you'll hear it more than once, but you ought to try sitting with it for more than one service, like actually spend time preparing for a word like that. Um, and you just don't get by unscathed when you're in that process. And it's really good. It's a really great process. Well, last week, we talked about surface idols, surface idols. What are those things that are easily identifiable that you can look at and go, yes, that is something that I'm fixated on. That is something in my life that needs to be adjusted. The easy things to see, the surface idols, but then we got really serious and we said, what about the root idols that drive these surface idols? What are the, the big bucket things that cause us to align our hearts with dead things? What are those things? We said that worship is what we were created for. This is why we are created by Almighty God. But it's not just worship of anything that we set our hearts on. Idol worship is anything that is a substitute for the worship of the one true God. Anything that our hearts cling to for ultimate security. This morning I want to talk to us about kingdom allegiance. Kingdom allegiance. And yes, we'll talk a bit about 2020 and the election cycle. We're going to get into that for just a few minutes this morning. Because in case you thought it was a new thing that happened in 2020, listen, our propensity toward making idols of political figures, of politics, of nationalism, of people is not a new thing in 2020. When I was a kid growing up, so I was a little, little elementary boy going to school, I grew up in a very nonviolent, peace-loving, conservative culture. I had no idea, like I knew what the American flag was. But prior to going to school, I had never pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I'm going to stop there because sometime in years, years to come, someone's going to see this video online and they're going to say, look at that church. They actually did the Pledge of Allegiance during church. Well, I didn't do that, so I just started. So you know where I'm going with this. It was a newfound experience for me to pledge allegiance to anything. Didn't have that awareness in my life. But there I was in the early 70s pledging allegiance to the flag.
Being patriotic is not a bad thing. Patriotism is not a bad thing. But just like anything else, patriotism can take the place of Almighty God. We saw that happen time and again in the last election cycle. So the question would be, to what and to whom do we pledge allegiance? It is imperative that thinking people give consideration to this question. Uh, what is our obligation? What is, our, is there an obligation to an earthly kingdom? Now, you've heard the oft-repeated um, assessment of a certain ilk of Christianity that is too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. Have you heard that one? Yeah, yeah. We know what it means because we've been around these Christians that sort of reside up here, head in the clouds, and they say things like, well, I'm just biding my time here on earth because heaven is my home. They're very future-oriented. Let's waste time on earth because it doesn't matter anyway. Let's just get to where we're going. Now, we see their effectiveness, their relatability in culture, and society is questionable at best. And perhaps you and I have chosen to live our faith differently by engaging the culture, being in it, yet separate in our conduct and practice. But yet the question remains, how do we respond? How do we conduct ourselves in a place that simultaneously is our earthly home, but yet we're aware that Scripture calls us to consider this earthly home a place where we are strangers and aliens? How do we, as citizens of our country, loving it, participating in it, bringing influence, and yet keep our primary allegiance aligned with the way of Jesus? How do we do this? Well, I'd like you to imagine this morning that you live in the most powerful world, powerful uh, uh, country in the world. Imagine living in the most powerful country in the world. It's not America. We're going to go back in history. Imagine living in the country of Rome. Rome had amassed wealth that had, was unheard of. They were the most powerful country in the world. They were an occupying force in so much of the world that their road system all led back to Rome. Business was done and business shifted based on the leadership in Rome. What Rome did, the rest of the world did. Their military was unlike any other military up to that time. This is the place where you live. This is the place that your family is being raised in. Now, on a personal level, you need to get out of the house and you need to go to the market. And as you step outside of your door to go to the market, you walk there, you see your friends, and as you step into the business of the market, 
there might be a statue on the side of the entrance where you stop and you pay homage to the statue of the emperor. You might dip your fingers into the the burnt ashes there. You might say a prayer. And you might even put those ashes on your forehead or someplace on you that indicates your allegiance to the emperor. You and your friends, you are patriotic. You are one nation in solidarity to the empire and its leaders. This empire has shaped not just your world, but the world. But now the teachings of Jesus of Galilee have become well-known and preached by the likes of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. And somewhere along the way, you and your family have aligned yourself with what is being commonly called the good news, the gospel. This gospel that says rich, poor, slave, and free are all equal. This is wildly, wildly unpopular. This news that we are all the same in the eyes of God. But your life has been transformed because you now worship Jesus and not the emperor. And as you've begun to practice this this new way of living, you've seen more and more things that seem out of sync with what you now believe to be true. The cultural sexual norms are in direct opposition to the fidelity that Jesus calls you The worship of and pledging allegiance to the emperor, Nero, is problematic because of your faith. So now you're being called unpatriotic. Your civility is coming into question because you're being even called, you're even being called cannibals because the word is out that when you gather in worship, you eat the body and drink the blood of this Jesus that you worship in celebration of his body and blood given for your salvation. The days are becoming more and more difficult. As time progresses, Nero becomes aware of these followers of Jesus and the ante is raised and the suffering church, your brothers and sisters, are being thrown into prison for practicing the way of love. And prison was mild in comparison to the sport of torture that Nero was playing. So this is the world you're trying to navigate. How then should we live, you're asking? Because not everyone is convinced that a little nod to the emperor is harmful because you got to feed your family and you got to be able to buy food at the market. The equality of slaves, although still slaves, gives them newfound courage that now perhaps they can fight back when their masters are rude and cruel because they have a group of people, the church behind them. But then comes a letter from Peter. And as you gather in one of the homes, an elder stands to read the letter. And the people, the gathered church, stand for the reading of the word. Stand for the reading of the word. For you, Peter says, for you, Peter says, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession, so that you may declare the goodness of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
In times past, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from evil desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorance talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now, friends, you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And the reader said, this concludes the reading of the word. And the people sat down. <laughs> you live in the United States of America. You may have found some parallels. The only thing is, you and I have never suffered for our faith, not here in the United States of America. We have been made uncomfortable. We have said we're being persecuted, but that is not the case. That's just foolish talk. We don't know what suffering is. These citizens of Rome, who were followers of Jesus, they had clear perspective on the odds that were against them and the suffering that they were experiencing. In verse 12, Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's some indication there that, that what he's pointing to is that live your life in a way that represents Jesus well, and who knows who may be saved by the work, works that you do, by the impact that you have. 
He's calling Christians to live out a lifestyle that is noble. Live it out nobly among the pagans, those that don't know about this Jesus that you're following. There's a twofold purpose of this godly life that Christians are called to. The first one in this scripture would be that pagans are going to carefully notice your good works and they'll be impacted by it and they won't slander you when they see your good works. And in the future, who knows, but those very people may be the people that follow you and your footsteps in your faith journey. Some of the common things that, were, that, that the early church was being accused of here in Rome were things like disloyalty to the, to the state or to Caesar or the emperor, upsetting trade or divination, teaching that slaves are free, not participating in, in festivals. So the normal societal festivals, they were not participating in some of those things and they were being called hating. The, the hatred of mankind was the thing they were being accused of. They were accused of beholding antisocial values and being atheists because they didn't have idols, statues in their homes that they were worshiping. In verse 13, Listen carefully to these words. This is Rome. This is Nero in power. And still Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or the supreme, as the supreme authority or to governors. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. There it is again. Honor the emperor. The emperor is Nero. Nero, who had his own mother killed, who then killed his first wife, and stomped his second wife, pregnant wife, to death, and then married a young boy. This is the Nero that Peter is pointing to and saying, honor the emperor. Nero hated these Christian Gatherings, this Christian community of faith. He hated them to the point that he was torturing them and executing them with lavish publicity. Crucified them, threw them to wild animals, and watched as the wild animals tore them apart. He burned them alive as living torches to light his garden for his parties. Honor the emperor. Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about this this morning? How does it apply to 2021 Goshen, Indiana? We're talking about this. Because if my life only has meaning and I only feel valued when my nation or my political party is superior, 
then we have made ourselves an idol. Idolatry is the key point here. Now, 2020 was an interesting and challenging year for lots of reasons, not the least of which was because it was an election year. You and I, we all tended to see everything through a political twist and agenda. Many in the church became more American than Christian. As I said before, being proud of our nationality, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes an idol within the church and in our personal life, this is now very wrong. When believers in the church no longer see people and issues as Christ does, but instead as their affiliated political party sees them, even when the two are in conflict, that's when patriotism or our political platform have become idols. Many, many in America, the majority of Americans say they are Christian. A 2020 Pew Research survey, the results said 65% of us identify as Christians. But if you press in, many believe this is for cultural reasons rather than a true relationship with Jesus. See, being a Christian is not due to your nationality or your political party or growing up going to church or living in a Christian home. This is as ridiculous as saying, yeah, I slept out in the garage last night, and so now I'm a car. Nobody does that. That's ridiculous. And yet we do this when it comes to saying, I am a Christian because of this, this, and this. We're living in a fantasy land. Matthew 7, 21 says this. These are the words of Jesus. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break the laws of God. Dean and Sarah, the author of The Unsaved Christian, says that if Matthew 7 was written today, it might say, but Lord, didn't we say grace before dinner? Didn't we vote our values? Didn't we believe prayer should be allowed in school? And didn't we go to church? Didn't we believe in God? Didn't we get misty-eyed whenever we heard God bless America sung at a baseball game? Didn't we give money to the church? Didn't we treat women with respect? Didn't we own Bibles? Didn't we pick it at the abortion clinic? Didn't we want America to return to its Christian roots? Didn't we say, I love my wife and I'm married and I'm faithful? All idols are prohibited by God. But this allegiance to a deep misunderstanding, altering of the gospel, might make it one of the most dangerous. This idol can give people a false sense of security, of eternal salvation, and it can mistake cultural Christianity for faithful, biblical Christianity. When politics and nationalism become so married to our idea of faith that we can't step outside of it to experience scriptures that challenge our own group, and our own group think, 
then we have resorted to making an idol of things that have absolutely no salvific power whatsoever. Our allegiance to the kingdom of God must always, must always supersede our allegiance to any earthly empire, any earthly kingdom. Many, though, many, though, are often driven by this, this, this repeated quote that you and I have heard over and over. This quote that says, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. It's a true statement. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. But what exactly is it that we've seen good, godly people do? For all the good intentions of many in the church, our hearts have become darkened. They've become darkened by worry and anxiety and greed. They've become darkened by our quest and our lust for power. See, I think... It's my belief that when we experience suffering, it will not be because of our goodness, but it will be for our rudeness, our belligerence, and our anger. It will be because the church has raised its fist in defiance against the machine. We have bowed at the feet of religious leaders and politicians that are nothing more than bullies and sexual deviants mocking and insulting the least of these. You guys, we live like Christian power matters more than Christian principles. We now have Christian leaders who are calling for, and this is their words, not mine, a justifiable civil war. Many in the church think it's acceptable to actually join a militia. Submission to worldly empire has clearly infiltrated and created a line of thinking in the body of Christ that is completely contrary to the way of Jesus. I would say that if we don't turn our allegiance back to the cross of Christ, where it belongs, we're going to suffer greatly for our despicable idol worship. I know, I know we wrap our memes in sarcasm. That's what we often do as church people. We don't come right out and say the thing that we're thinking because that would betray our image idol. You know we bow at the throne of the image idol, which is got to look a certain way, got to do a certain thing so everybody thinks highly of me. We say, let's at least make a good first impression. Brothers and sisters, this should not be so. We resemble what we revere. Let me say it again. We resemble what we revere. All of us are imitators. There is no neutrality. We will always reflect something, whether that is God's character or some aspect of the word, world. What we revere, we resemble. And it will either be for our ruin or it will be for our restoration. So we must hold fast to the faith we affirm. Paul writes in Colossians 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, 
Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to get rid of anger, rage, malice, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have been stripped of your Uh, You've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. surface idols or deep root idols all need to be exposed, all need to come into our perspective so that we can give them a proper burial. The key to gospel-driven transformation is learning to repent of the sin beneath the sin. The deeply rooted idolatry and unbelief that drive our more visible sins, these surface sins. And so once again, I want to identify those deep root sins that we attach ourselves to. The the deep rooted sin, this, this idol that we worship of comfort. If you seek comfort, You've made an idol of privacy, of lack of stress and freedom. What you compromise, what you don't have is peace in Christ. When you're fixated and worship at the throne of comfort. If you seek approval above all things, if that is your deep rooted idol, you're looking for and worship affirmation, love, and relationships. And what you're compromising is experiencing the fullness of Jesus, the love of Jesus. If your deep-rooted idol is control, if you seek control, you, you are worshiping at the idol of self-discipline, of certainty, and of standards. If control is your deep idol, you're missing out on blessing, the blessing of God in your life. And finally, the fourth one is power. If you seek power, you're likely worshiping at the idols of success, of winning, and of influence. And you're compromising, living in a place of righteousness. 
I'm gonna close with this sentence from 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Would you stand with me? I started by telling you that being immersed in preparation for a talk like this uh, is, uh, is challenging at best. And so this morning, I would just say to you that whatever's been said has been said to me first, that I am experiencing a lot of conviction in a number of different areas in my life. Slave and free, rich and poor, we are all the same in the body of Christ. Just because I preach up here on Sunday morning makes my struggles no different than yours. So let me just say to you this morning again that our prayer ministry team will be up front during the next two songs. And I would invite you to carefully consider what you've heard this morning, what God's been saying to you during this message. Maybe he's been talking to you all week long and this morning it culminated with our time together. Don't miss the opportunity to have someone join you, pray with you, and encourage you this morning. Father, we thank you now that you love us deeply, that despite our meandering on our journey, you are with us, you are never far from us. We move, you don't. We move far away sometimes, but you don't. Your word says that you, you leave the 99 and you go after the one. And this morning, I would just ask God that that one that has been wandering away would connect deeply with you. That no one would move out of this space this morning without connecting with your heart. So we thank you, God, again, for this time together. And we're grateful for the work that you continue to do so patiently in every one of us. May your name be praised. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.